Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever and wherever it is that you're listening to us, we want to thank you in advance. We as fans have always appreciated your input as fellow fans. When you're happy, we're happy. When you're upset, we are too. But sometimes we're just a little bit more honest. We are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. You can find us on Twitter or X at Bastards underscore Boston. I'm your host, Charlie Smith, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. You can find me on Twitter at Smith underscore MLB. Our other hosts for this episode are Terry Cushman, coming to us from Myrtle Beach in South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine, and Cody Paulson, coming to us from Houston, Texas by way of Ponte Vedra, Florida. Cody, welcome back after a little hiatus. Great to see you. Where can the fans find you on X and or Twitter? And uh, how are you doing? Charlie, good to have you back hosting. Um, hopefully I kept the seat warm, but definitely I think it goes a lot better when you're doing the job. Uh, the fans can find me on Twitter slash X at the Cody Paulson. Good to be here. I know we just covered the recent series and that wasn't as fun, but we had some good topics, uh, some good discussion. People can go check that out wherever they find the podcasts. How are you doing tonight? Doing all right. And uh, Terry, where can the fans find you on Twitter slash X? How are you doing? I am doing very well. I can be found at Cushman MLB. And uh, we've got some interesting topics tonight on Hot Take Tuesday. So looking forward to breaking them all down. Absolutely. Uh, Terry, since we had you go first on our last segment, we'll give you a little bit of a break. We'll give Cody the first crack at our first hot take. Cody, lead us off. All righty. Yeah, this is always a fun episode. The first hot take that I have for this episode comes from Wire Clouds. Thank you for writing in, responding to the Twitter post or the X. Uh, They say, for a more entertaining project all around, MLB should adopt a version of EPL's loan rule. Uh, To give a quick kind of synopsis of what the loan rule is, uh, say you have... uh, Two great players. One person's not really getting the playing time that they need or that they want. Uh, You can loan them out to another organization. The receiving organization will pay the remaining salary of the moved player to the original organization. And it's a way to either showcase talent, improve trade value, um, or, you know, get them uh, a better contract moving forward. Kind of helps all around, like a win-win-win, right? You know, good for the player, good for the receiving team, good for the, the organization that has that plethora or depth of talent and i think this would be something that the mlb could benefit from greatly uh you know surely the hall of fame uh players voting committee and the bbwa would hate it because they hate anything fun and anything new and anything that changes the you know america's pastime but how many players have we seen rot in places like san diego or anaheim or non-competitive baseball markets and never really had the chance to, to compete or play meaningful games when the lights are the brightest, right? You know, I think Trout's played one postseason game. Otani hasn't played any. Uh, you know, for the longest time, Goldschmidt was in Arizona doing nothing, right? Um, the Padres have had great individual talents that haven't had the chance to, to compete or, you know, win going down the stretch. And, you know, some some people might say, hey, you know, Devers' <laughs> prime of his career might be might be part of that now but hopefully we get that turned around here in boston um so yeah the ability to have you know mike trout move to say philly for a world series run in front of his hometown i think could be absolutely electric the storylines that could come out from that um obviously you know players like trout we know the value we don't need to to showcase showcase that for for trade purposes but i think it would make the postseason a little bit more interesting um 
it would definitely make things a little bit more fun, especially because it wouldn't be as final as the trade deadline, right? You know, with this loan system at the end of that year, uh, the players do return back to their original teams. And so this would just give us, you know, something a little bit more fun to watch and say you have, you know, a hot prospect come up and uh, they're doing well and you want to offload the salary of a main contributor, you can move them to, um, a less competitive team, and that's just moving moving talent all across the organization, all across the product, and and those games still have draws for for fans in those areas, and you know it's it's a way to continue to grow the game and continue to to increase the exposure because that's what we're always trying to do at the end of the day is is grow the game of baseball and you know share it with uh, share the game that we love with with more people. What are your thoughts, Terry? Do you want to go first? Yeah, so I guess uh, an example of a Red Sox-related um, scenario would be, say Don Raffaella comes up in July, goes on a hot streak, the Red Sox loan out Verdugo to the Texas Rangers or something. That I guess that could be it. I... I don't like it. I'm, I'm the purist here. I, well, Charlie might be a bit of a purist too, but um, I wouldn't mess with that. I, I don't think other teams would be comfortable with it. Some teams have secrets when it comes to analytics and how they employ things and um, perhaps how they steal signs legally, hopefully. Um, and so I just, it sounds kind of far-fetched, but could you imagine like, somebody loaning someone to the Astros in 2017 and then that player comes back at the end of the year and is like, well, guess what these guys are doing with trash cans? You know, it would just be insane, I feel like. But I, I just I just wouldn't be a fan of it. If I loaned out Bayo because we're out of it and, you know, another team wanted him for whatever reason, that might not make sense because he's not making a lot of money. But... um. But, you know, I, I wouldn't want him getting hurt on their pitching program. <laughs> how, how would you feel if the Tampa Bay Rays wanted one of your starters this year? They lost three guys to Tommy John. You know, be like, hey, let me borrow Bale for a few months. I promise he'll, you know, he'll come back in one piece. And, you know, and then he needs Tommy John. Uh, I just, yeah, I'm just not crazy about it. It's, it's very radical. And I didn't like the pitch clock at first. Uh, you know, by the time it did get implemented, you know, it is what it is. I, I was basically okay with it by then, but I don't want to do anything that radical. Salaries are very different in um, British Premier League and in Spain for La Liga. And for those that follow along, um, the, the loan rules are a little bit different. You could have a lot more than 25, 26 guys on the team. And if you loan out, some of your your better names, in theory, it's possible you could loan out like a really, really hot name. It doesn't help you if you do that. Ideally, if you have a team with like four or five strikers or four or five first basemen, four or five catchers, then yeah, that'd be great because you obviously don't want to have four or five catchers at the highest level. But that's the thing is we don't have just one team. We have a minor league system and a double A system and a triple A, you know, a single A, double A, triple A, and then, you know, Gulf Coast and all that jazz. We have those other those other teams. So in a sense, we kind of have our own little loan system with the calling up, calling back down already implemented. It becomes a little bit more complicated to Terry's point if you have teams stealing signs and, and things like that. 
for football, international football, it's a little bit different. There isn't sign stealing. It, there is, it's just full blown communication, which baseball's communication is very different. There's unwritten rules. There's, uh, you know, stealing signs, whether it be done the clean way or the dirty way, there's a lot more aspects to it, which are different. A football team may carry five or six players of one position, which is why the loan out system makes a lot of sense. A major league team may carry two, and that's it. You loan one of your guys out, and your main guy goes down, you're screwed. So I like the idea. I think it's kind of cool, but I just don't know if it would work for Major League Baseball unless the unions got together and said, you know what, yeah, we're going to increase the 26-man roster to 34, 32, and you have to loan out two or three of your players. But at that point, if you're forcing a team to do that, I mean, you're not forced to, but – if you opt to do it, each team has a certain limit. I forget how many they can put. It's like three or four, something like that uh, on loan, the opposing team or the other team would then pay that person's wages. And it's not for a year. It's, it's per week by month, however they want to structure it. Um, I think it's a cool idea. Unfortunately for major league baseball, I just don't think it would work just because of the system that they already have set in place with different, you know, single A, double A, triple I love it though. I think it's a really cool, a cool take. That's just me though. Um, Terry, why don't you this with your hot take? My first hot take comes from Sean Troy on Twitter. He says, that Rafi contract is going to be underwater in less than five years. So he thinks beyond five years, Dever's numbers are going to be somewhat pedestrian and he's not going to be living up to like 30 million a year. I forget what his AAV is, but somewhere around there. I don't really know what he's basing that on. I mean, Devers presently has 33 home runs. He's probably going to hit another maybe three or four at least, you know, to end up around 37, 38. He's at 98 runs batted in, so he'll probably be around 110 at the end of the year. He's hitting 276. I think we'd all like to see the average come up a little bit, but he's got a 355 on base. Those are pretty good numbers you know, across the board this year. And it seems like at times he hasn't been super focused. And I guess that's my, my chief complaint about him, but, but I think it's, it's worth mentioning though. He didn't, the effort isn't, there's no lack of effort here. I haven't observed that at any point this season, he's got his money now. So it doesn't, to some players, it doesn't matter if the effort is there at that point. I mean, we've seen some contracts just be bad almost instantly, but Devers is out there. He's still grinding away. He still wants to win. Uh, you know, he gave us a good chance to try to win today by tying it in the ninth. Um, he had another home run on Saturday, but what will be interesting, though, is if Alex Cora gets fired or assigned to a front office role, that's what I think is going to happen, by the way. I think the new the new GM comes in. He wants his own guy. Alex Cora takes a very low-pressure advisory role in the front office, so he's still getting a paycheck. He probably doesn't have to be there every day. He can be with his kids and, and all that. And it's a way to keep him in the organization. So if I'm correct and something like that happens and we have a new manager next year, 
what's his relationship going to be like with Devers? Because I think Cora has kind of kept Devers in line at times. Not not that he's, you know, necessarily needed it. I mean, I, I haven't heard of one controversy with Raphael Devers in the clubhouse. But, you know, Cora stays on these young guys. And so Cora has essentially been the only manager Devers has played under. He did play... I think the final two months of the 2017 season under John Farrell, but that was so brief and you know, another lifetime ago. So we'll see. But I think when the day comes that he's not a third baseman anymore, I think he's going to be one of the best designated hitters in major league baseball. And I I think this contract, which will expire only in his age 36 season, Compare that to age 41 uh, for Xander Bogarts with his Padres deal. I think this is going to be one of those long-term contracts you look back at and you're like, it was it was worth it. It was worth making him a member of this team for either the bulk of his career or the entirety of his career. And hopefully we get one or two rings in that span. I mean, that's the pace that we're on. Cody. There's a couple of things that I want to mention when discussing the contract of one Raphael Devers. Uh, for one, every time we we bring up a contract, right, we are like, oh my gosh, this is market setting money. This is the highest paid player in the league at their position, yada, yada, yada. And three to five years, that player is middle of the road, if not bottom half of, of league average for star production. Um, you know, to say that it'll be underwater. Uh, that's just going to be more related to the production that you're getting getting from from that individual, right? Um, and for me, the only way that I can see this being underwater is if this regression in defense that we've seen from Rafael Devers this season continues to trend that way and he becomes exclusively a DH at, you know, say 29, 30, et cetera. Uh, Terry, I think you mentioned it. Um, you know, when he does eventually um, not become a – a third baseman and goes exclusive to the DH, he's, that bat's going to play. I mean, he's hitting home runs to all fields. He gets doubles. Um, you know, he gets runs driven in. Yes, the batting average is down a little bit this year, but that's not that's not something that, you know, we necessarily need him to do. He doesn't have to be a 300-type hitter. And so um, I don't really, you know, knock on wood, I don't see him becoming a contract that we view as underwater uh, unless we have to move him to DH sooner than, than necessary because his defense has kind of regressed. Uh, that's something that I want to see him focus on a lot this off season, maybe even go to Trevor stories, uh, you know, defensive camp or, or whatnot that they're running. And so, um, ho- you know, hopefully he writes that, that defensive um, lapse because last year he was, you know, improving and he was no longer necessarily a worry per se, but, um, I, I just don't see it being underwater. I don't know how we're going to be able to see or say that Devers' contract is going to be underwater. Yes, his defense has taken a little bit of a step back. There's no question on that. We're still seeing someone who's going to have 35 to 40 home run power for the next easily 7 to 10 years. Um, I'd be shocked if it starts to fall apart. But you're literally, you literally have one of the few guys in Major League Baseball that is going to hit 35 home runs. 35 doubles, 100 RBIs, hit minimum 270, 280, maybe steal a couple bases, which always makes me nervous, get 100 runs, get 170 hits. 
you've got a premier player in Major League Baseball on your team doing major work. I don't think he's going to play every single game. I hope to God he does not, and he does get some rest. But I don't think for a second that this is going to be underwater by the fifth year. I, I just, there's no way. I think, like you said, Terry, perfectly put, it's going to be one of those contracts that we say, you know what, this was worth it. This was this was good, and this was not a miss. So that's pretty much all I'll say. Terry, go ahead. Just a quick follow-up question. We, we won't spend a ton of time on it, but is it possible that when that day comes, whether it's two years from now, three years from now, four years from now, when he does become an everyday DH, is it possible he'll just be a much better hitter at that point where he's only focusing on that and not the error he made that led to a run being scored the inning before? I mean, you can only hope, right? If you take all of your attention and energy and put it into to one aspect of the game versus two, um, you know, I think that allows you to become a much more complete hitter, but time will tell, right? I think the the main gripe against Rafi's batting approach right now is he tends to be a little too aggressive at times. You know, he's always trying to hit that five-run home run when a single or a double would suffice. And so, you know, if he can learn to be a little bit more patient and a little bit more... Um, selective with his batting approach i think you know we're going to really see um every dollar of that contract be be worth it time will tell i'm I'm really hoping that he's able to to flip this the defensive woes around but i mean to say it's gonna be underwater in less than five years is just i don't want that that bad juju going my way so i'm gonna i'm just gonna step away from that one um my first hot take is going to be coming from Justin at JK's golf guy. Red Sox won't hit my 77.5 wins bet this season. So Justin, thank you for your hot take early this year. I'm going to give a little bit of a recap for some of the win totals that some of the cats on our team projected. Jason picked 82 Cody 82 uh, Terry had 74 and I think Nick was in the 74, 75 range as well. Uh, one of our former co-hosts had 83, which I just don't think we're going to get. And I actually had 78. So I think 78 at the end of the year is going to be right on the marker. I don't think if, if we don't hit 78, it'll be a variance of one. It'll be 77 or 79, but I still right now think the Red Sox will get 78 wins. I think they're going to hit that threshold, but just barely. You know, they're, they're just going to barely get there. They're not going to blow any team away. And we do have some ugly series coming up where we're going to be losing two out of three or possibly get swept. So I'll say that much. I think there's a, a chance that we hit the 77. Cody, anything you want to add to that? I think it's a very viable uh, take and opinion to say that they're not going to make that over under of 77 and a half. Um, bringing up our projections from the beginning of the season is a little bit of, of nasty work there, Charlie. Uh, you know, I think that's different. Uh, circumstances that we were operating under at that point in time, um, you know, namely me with uh, the optimistic projection of 82. Uh, the ownership group putting on the team, I think, makes makes our projections a little bit skewed. But uh, you, you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, right? A, a lot of tough series coming up. You got players that are checked out mentally or you know mentally fatigued. It's really tough to see wins um, on the schedule, and you know, uh, say that having picked them taking two out of three from Texas. So you know. Uh, I'm having a party. People come over. Uh, it's, a, it's a great time over here. We're only disappointed every night at uh, 610 Central. Terry? I don't feel great about 77 wins. I, I just picked them to win two against Texas. 
So they've got 12 games left. So after Texas, it's nine games. And you, you, three of them are going to be against the White Sox. So I have a feeling... I said 76 to 78 earlier, but I'm thinking 78 to 80, I think, is probably going to be the landing point for now. But we'll see. Going to be close. Uh, Cody, this is your second hot take. My second hot take for the evening comes from Jose Cahale or Kali. I apologize if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Um, they chime in with Bobby Dahlbeck gets hot in the MLB, and we are able to package him and Doogie plus a prospect for an elite arm a la Burns, Woodruff, or anyone else. And, uh, ooh, boy, this will keep you warm throughout the winter. Um, for one, I don't think we've ever seen Bobby Dahlbeck get hot at the MLB level, um, as unfortunate as it is, because, boy, that guy hits zero cheap home runs. When he gets one, he gets one. And Bobby Dahlbeck was hitting a cover off the ball at AAA right around the deadline. Uh, you know, if there was a name to move, he would have been primed top of the list. Uh, Verdugo has all but torpedoed his his value um, with the back half of the season, whether it be his fault, Bloom's fault, Cora's fault, ownership's fault, whoever you want to call it. Um, I just don't see that happening uh, unless, you know, whomever's out there with an elite arm really covets one of our prospects. Um I mean, it would be great. I'd be over the moon if we were able to to flip a top prospect plus those two players for an elite arm because, like we've talked about long on this podcast, you know, the bullpen was a lot better this year. Uh, position players were we're right up there with some of the best in in the in the leagues. We just don't have the pitching. And if we could get a Woodruff or a Barnes or you know a Snell type arm, and I'm just saying Snell type in terms of trade, um, I obviously know that he's an impending free agent. Um, that would be great. Uh, but I just I don't see the feasibility of that happening, unfortunately. Terry. Well, here's the bad news. Um, Bobby Dalvek isn't worth anything, really. Um, you know, that would be the equivalent of like Josh Taylor for uh, Alberto Mondesi. That's the type of deal, and. If he's in a, a larger trade package, Dahlbeck's going to be the third, fourth, or fifth player in that trade package. Everybody else above him in the trade package is going to be more coveted. Uh, I think the the Brewers, if we're talking about Burns or Woodruff here, they need a right-handed bat more than anything. And Doogie is a lefty as well. I mean, Doogie could help a lot of teams in a lot of ways, but... I don't think the Brewers are the perfect uh, dance partner there. I for for one year of Burns. I mean, I think Jason Kelly on the previous episode mentioned you're probably going to give up a Blyce, uh, a Roman Anthony type guy potentially, which I wouldn't do. Um, you know, maybe a Nick York and and one other decent prospect. I I just wouldn't do it. Um, I don't think Dahlbeck does have a future in Boston either way. I think he will be traded, but I think we need to set the bar a hell of a lot lower than Corbin Burns, uh, as far as Dahlbeck being, uh, you know, a piece of that, uh, trade. Um, if he's going to be a piece, he'll be a piece, but, but that's not going to be the first important piece or the second important piece or the third important piece. And it's like a, 
We just don't want him on our team, and here you go. Peace. That's kind of unfortunately where Bobby Dahlbeck is right now on the totem pole. This is a guy who a couple of years ago had, what was it, like 25, 26 home runs, and then last year only had a couple, and then after that fell apart. You know, 2023, not really been a part of the picture. Um, he torched AAA this year, like absolutely went off. And I think that uh, a change of scenery for somebody like that is going to benefit him in the long run. Pardon me. My dog is like shaking um, over here in the background. But um, yeah, I, I, I think Jason is not wrong. It is going to require a major haul. Corbin Burns is, you know, upper 20s has unfortunately kind of gone down in, in metrics every year for the last three but he's still an elite pitcher. It is going to cost a lot to get an arm like that. We are going to have to set the bar a lot lower unless we're willing to give away major pieces. Um, anything else you guys want to add on that one? Right on. Uh, Terry, what is your next hot take? My next one comes from JP, and he says, the new GM for the Red Sox has been set up to succeed with an amazing farm system and amazing young potential with money to spend now. Um, I'll agree with that in terms of, you know, offensively. I think the future is really bright uh, with at least three of those prospects, uh, namely Meyer, uh, Anthony, and Teal. Uh, and, and, you know, possibly a couple more as well. But, um, but yeah, so as far as who that is, though, I really like the idea of Brandon Gomes from the Dodgers. I mentioned this on the last show. You know, he's the vice president of player development, uh, you know, with the Dodgers. That's a factory that just pumps out talent. And especially pitching. And he's a New England guy. He's from Fall River, Massachusetts. He's a former MLB pitcher himself. So when my chief complaint about Bloom was always, well, he doesn't understand fundamentally how to build a rotation. Well, you would think, uh, you know, a former major league pitcher might have an inkling on, on how to do that. So he's one guy... Here's another guy that's been brought up in the last, uh, I think just today on Sunday, there's a report out there that the Red Sox are considering Mike Hazen from the Arizona Diamondbacks. I don't think that's likely. Uh, he was the number two under Dombrowski and spent several years with the Red Sox even before that. But that Arizona team is about to be a wagon uh, you know, for the next four or five years. So why would he want to leave now uh, You know, after what he's built? It's a much lower pressure situation out there. You know, you're not always on the hot seat. Like the Red Sox would have fired Tori Lovello by now, it, you know, under those man management performances. And, um, you know, Lovello's safe out there. And I, I love Tori Lovello. I, I wouldn't mind if he ever did manage the Red Sox uh, later down the road. But, but Hazen's got that team right where he wants to. He's put a lot of hard work in it. He's really, he's deeply connected to, you know, the community of Phoenix because, you know, his wife went through a, a terrible cancer battle. She ultimately succumbed uh, to that disease. It was brain cancer last year. And, 
Um, so he got really close to the community out there. You know, his kids have been there for a while. I would just be really shocked if he had, excuse me, um, any interest uh, in coming to Boston, at least for now. He, he might be better when the next guy gets fired. Maybe, maybe then it'll line up and he'll come, he'll come to Boston and, you know, the next five to eight years. But I, I think that's going to get dismissed really fast. And old Buster Olney, who came out with this report, he's, he's with ESPN. He mentioned in his report that perhaps he'll, he'll leverage this Mike Hazen to get an extension with the Diamondbacks. So that he he's definitely not going anywhere, but but he's a very well respected executive. So it's going to be really fascinating to see what names come up and who the finalists might be and and what have you. It sounds like when they hired Bloom, there was no search. He was one of the first interviews, if not the only one, and then was hired. And within the past year previous to that, he'd been runner up with the Mets. So we'll see. It's uh, it's interesting uh, to say the least to see what's going to happen. I don't think that. So JP King for Rosa twenty three. Uh, thank you for the take. I don't think that the next GM is going to be set up. And to your point, I don't think he's going to leave Arizona either. There's just no way. I don't know if I'd say wagon is the right term, but they do look like a force, and he's been one of the key cogs in creating what could become a very devastating monster in that nl west and you already have to deal with the dodgers the padres who knows if they're going to refigure it out and whatnot uh, I, I don't think he's leaving it, there is some potential i'm not going to say amazing young potential i think we have a couple of of players that could be special but i don't think everybody in the farm is just incredible and that's you know that's tough you know you're not going to have the best farm and if you have the best farm you're expected to slowly but surely bring those pieces up to you know your your prospective team and baltimore has taken a really really long time it's taken decades for them to be relevant and now they are and they don't have a crazy you know hit every year as far as as money spend like spending because most of their players are on rookie contracts and or are arbitration eligible the red sox have stars that are taking eight, nine, you know, digit deals. So I'm curious to see what ends up happening with the next GM. I do expect the next GM though, and president of baseball operations to open the books and really get some top tier talent here in Boston. You just need it after five years of irrelevancy. Yeah. T super quick. I'm just going to throw it out there right now. I would not be shocked if the right moves get made pitching wise, the Red Sox don't win the AL East. I mean, look at Baltimore. It came out of nowhere. I think right. I think our offense has plenty of potential if you just get Rafaela or uh, Willier Abreu to hit. I mean, that's tons of production right there. And both have shown a lot of promise. It sucks that they're both lefties. Uh, you know, I'm a big Duran guy as well. I have a feeling, well, Rafaela ain't going anywhere because he's a righty, but um, but yeah, I don't see why not. I don't see why we can't do it. And every time we've had a brand new manager that's never managed here before, what happened? When we've had a new manager? Yeah. We've won the World Series the first year. Every time. Every time. You know, it, 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 we've had three or four. Barrel did it. 
you know, Cora did it. Francona. Frank did it. Yeah. Yep, that's three right there. So yeah. um Bobby V didn't get it done. Too bad. <laughs> well he, he uh, doesn't yeah, count. He doesn't it was count. that one. Yeah, he doesn't it was the lame duck one. He, he came in for a crap year. Yeah. Uh but that that's that. So uh, my my final hot take to wrap up the night. Uh, this comes from John. Sorry, Cody. Do you have anything else to say or no? Okay, cool. Just make sure. Sorry. Uh, this comes from Johnny Fontaine. Johnny Fontaine one on Twitter slash X. If Mookie Betts is on the twenty twenty one team, they win the World Series. Thank you, Johnny Fontaine, for that hot take. I do not believe that's the case. Mookie Belevance, yeah, Mookie Betts. I think I just said Mookie Betts and relevance in the same sentence. That doesn't really work. Uh, but Mookie Betts just disappears for the most part during the playoffs. He did not get it done for the Boston Red Sox in his last year in 2018. We did not win the World Series because of Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts in the World Series in five games and 23 at-bats, one home run, one RBI, one stolen base. He just does not turn it out in into the postseason. He's had postseason series where he's been good. His first one with LA, he, you know, with the, with the Dodgers in the um, NLDS and even the wildcard game, he did decently well. No home runs, but still hitting way over 330. Uh, and in 2021, he did fantastic. He went nine for 20, had a home run for RBI, stole a couple bases, and actually seemed to have found himself, but it took him eight, nine years to do it. So unfortunately, we've had some bad success but in 2021 with the team that we had it wasn't all systems go and ultimately in the championship series in 2021 he was irrelevant four for 23 with one extra base hit one rbi so that doesn't really scream yes we're gonna win because of somebody like mookie Betts. that's just me though i think it, it helps you definitely become a little bit better but he's not he's not the answer and he's not the the the, the player that will take you to the next level cody yeah, I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, you know, we didn't lose the, that championship series in 2021 because our bats went to sleep. Uh, the whole team kind of went to Cancun. Um, it wasn't like, you know, we were losing games 1-0 to zero and Mookie with a leadoff home run could have changed that dynamic. And Charlie, you're absolutely right. Um, the guy disappears in the postseason, and it's a real bummer for a player that is as dynamic and as prolific as he is in the regular season. And sure, you know, it changes the equation. It changes the game plan. It changes... Um, you know, the strategic moves that a team has to do when you have a guy like Mookie Betts in your lineup, but he's not the one that single-handedly will take over a series or single-handedly take over um, a postseason and and deliver uh, victories. Terry, what are your thoughts? So before I do get to that take, do you guys know where the name Johnny Fontaine comes from? Oh, come on, guys. The Godfather is where it comes from. He was the opera singer that acted as the go-between, uh, you know, in between. Um, oh God, what's the mobster's name? Now I look like the dumbass. Um, Vito Corleone, and then he was the go-between uh, between Corleone and then the Hollywood mogul guy. And uh, yeah, so anyway, I, I just being a mafia history fan, I, I love it. So as you guys have said, there's not a ton I can really add to it. Uh, but, you know, Mookie, he, he, he was a no-show every year. And in 55 postseason games, and that's a lot. That's a pretty good sample size. 
He's only hit four home runs and driven in 18. And three of those home runs have uh, been with the Dodgers. Uh, two were actually in the World Series. He hit 269 and a 361 in that one. So not not too bad, I guess, that round. But he's not the guy that... There's no signature Mookie Betts moments in the playoffs. So I think that's a little disappointing. Um he also got bounced, uh, it seemed like, instantly out of the home run derby. But maybe that wasn't the best situation for him because he's not known for, like, crushing 400-footers. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of his balls are, you know, just, I'm not going to say just barely going over the fence, but they're not clearing the fence by, you know, several feet. Let's put it that way. Um, so I just... He can impact the game so many ways. I mean, he's been an infielder for a lot of the season. That's cool, I think. But, um, but yeah, just I don't know. Not a big Mookie guy, and I don't have any remorse for for not signing him. And there's no reason to suggest he would have shown up in the 2021 playoffs. I think we're pretty much aligned on that. Uh, that it just probably. Wasn't going to happen. Anything else you want to add, Cody? All right. That's going to wrap it for all of us here tonight. We want to thank all of our loyal listeners and to our first-time listeners as well. We appreciate all of you. Have a great night. Take care.